if you take 70 uh, I-71 south all the way to Cincinnati, Ohio, you cross the river, you are in Kentucky. And you drive for another 20 minutes or so, and you will see the so-called Creation Museum, which is a beautiful place established by those who still believe in the six-day creation. And this is a non-denominational <clears throat> group of, of people who established that center. That would require at least a day, I mean, I believe. We, we took two days just to go down there. It's a four-and-a-half-hour drive, one way. So if you want to come back on the same day, it's already nine hours, and you haven't seen anything. So this is, uh, this is just not possible, I believe, to do it in one day. So you can easily spend at least four or five hours in that place with an exhibition and quite a bit about um, some of these strange animals, uh, dinosaurs and so on. But, but the point is that they are Bible-believing, creation-believing Christians. The only trouble we had is, uh, is uh, was about the seventh day of the week. And so when I asked them, what about the seventh day? They believe in a six-day creation, but seventh day. And when they displayed what happened on the first day and second and so on and the sixth, we went to the seventh day. There was this a big picture of the seventh day, and it was quoting Genesis 1, 31 and, uh, and 2, verses 1 and 2, talking about God who rested on the seventh day and he hallowed the day. And so when we asked them, so which day of the week is that? Sunday, it's Sunday for them. <laughs> that was that was a kind of interesting experience. And then from there, we need had to drive another half an hour, about half an hour, twenty minutes, half an hour, further southeast, which is the so-called Ark Encounter. So that if you ever been there or you are planning to come, we are we are planning on visiting the place if you if you are willing to do that. Um, there you will see a life size ark on the top of a hill, based on the measurements of the Bible. This is a four story. Building, if you will, it's it's an ark, but inside exhibitions on four different levels or or stores, and uh, it means that if you want to look everything, this is three football field long piece of of wood. It's all wood inside and out. Of course, there are modern facilities because it's air conditioned. Of course, and there are elevators working and the handicap uh, uh, ramp up to there and so on. But the point is that you can easily spend at least one hour on each level of the four. So it's already four hours. That's another half a day. 
plus the traveling. So it means that this is something which we took as a project for us. Because we were on a sabbatical, we had to choose a project. It was a two-day project. But we enjoyed every moment. It, the, the, you will find everything for kids, for adults, for retired people. They even have a discount for retired people. And group discount. <laughs> so we discovered a few things about this, these two places. But I think it's a worthwhile to do, to do and to travel. There may be next spring sometime or early summer. I think that would be the, the best option. Because they have longer hours in the summer. They are open until 9 p.m. So you can spend a little more time. And um, we are just encouraging you to think about that. You can, uh, you can uh, Google it. You can uh, go on their website and look at everything, even including prices. Prices are went, went up a little bit compared to two, three years ago. That's what we know. But it's still worth to do. It's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So we, uh, we've been very blessed and refreshed. And we are happy to, to be back because it's always good to be back home. And uh, we will continue. I will continue with the topic which I, I chose a few couple of months ago now. I believe that was about the way we think. So we had two stories from the Gospel of Matthew, then one from uh, Mark, and I'm taking another one from Mark today. And then we will have two more from Luke and two more from John. And it seems to me that all four Gospel writers were interested in telling us stories about the correct way of thinking. So Jesus is interested in the way we think. But before we open the word of God, I'd like to invite my lovely wife, my first and only, (laughs) Martha, to come up and uh, recite a poem about the Holy Spirit. Because this story is also related to the work of the Holy Spirit or the sin against the Holy Spirit. Happy Sabbath to all of you. In the poem, there is a sentence, and it says the Holy Spirit is a miracle performing. And thank you for the story what you shared, Penny, with the kids, that God saved that dog. This is what we have in our heart, that only God can save our granddaughter. And this is what we are praying for and ask you to pray for it also. The Holy Spirit by Tony Doswell. Ever living from the beginning, creating, sustaining atoms and molecules arranging, working together with God the Father and Jesus the Son in complete harmony everywhere caring, constantly sharing, loving mankind unceasingly. Miracles performing, his mercies I knew every morning, bringing hope, 
joy, and peace. Fighting battles and giving victory. Pointing to Jesus, never forsaking, assisting our earnest pleas. Giving us power each and every hour, whether we are on land, in the sky, or at sea. Constantly wooing, reviving, renewing, generous supplier of our needs. Guide and director, corrector, protector, abundant in mercy, willing to lead. The Holy Spirit we need. Amen. Thank you, Martha, for this beautiful poem. I think we all need the Holy Spirit, don't we? (laughs) Every day, we need to be baptized by the Spirit. Every day. We need to have a fresh baptism, a spiritual baptism, not physical. And before I open the Word of God, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads for a short prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have gathered us together this morning after so many weeks We can see one another's face. We can see the smiling faces. And we want to thank you for protecting all of us. I want to offer a very special prayer for Tom. We are so thankful for his recovery. That he is with us today. And we ask you to bless him abundantly with the healing power, your power that can restore his health. And we also pray the same thing for Lily, that you would bless her and uh, restore the life and the health of that little girl. She's going to be 10 years old on the 19th of September. And she has spent most of her life in the hospital. So we pray, Lord, for your healing miracle. But I want to pray for all those visitors and members, the Salinas family. We are thankful for them. But I pray for each visitor this morning that your spirit would touch them, to touch their hearts and minds and and make the necessary changes because every change starts in the mind. So help us to understand a little bit more about the workings of the mind based on Mark chapter 3. And we want to thank you, Lord, for your continuing presence and blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'd like to invite you to come with me to Mark, Mark chapter 3. And before we read the Bible verse, I want to remind you of something interesting. I chose a title, Divided, comma, 
we stand? Question mark. Because there is a well-known motto which says, United we stand, divided we fall. It's common wisdom. And when I checked on that motto, I was very curious when, uh, where does it come from? And what I found is that there was a Greek storyteller. He wrote a nice story about four oxen and the lion. How the, the oxen worked against the lion and they were united. And he is the first, according to our understanding, who used this phrase. So, united with stand, divided with fall. Then I also discovered that one of our founding fathers, his name was John Dickinson, used it in the so-called Liberty Song, back in July 1768. Then Abraham Lincoln used the same phrase in a speech given in 1858. Then since we visited Kentucky this summer, we discovered something. That on the seal of Kentucky, there is the motto. If you ever want to look at that seal of Kentucky... It, it says, united we stand, divided we fall. Very interesting. And what Wikipedia told me also was that the Bible is using this phrase in Mark chapter 3. So let's go to Mark chapter 3 and find out whether united we stand and divided we fall or divided we stand that's just not possible. I'd like uh, us to read the whole passage and then we would divide it into four or five parts. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. All the way to verse 35. These are not long verses, so easy to read. Beginning in verse 20, Mark chapter 3. It says, Then the multitude came together again, so that, that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Belzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. 
No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And the multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Lord, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Very interesting chain of stories. The disciples went to a house according to Mark 3.19. I don't know how big the house was, but a big crowd came, a multitude came, probably not only sitting or standing in the house, but around the house. And so Jesus was so much occupied that he and his disciples did not even have time to eat. Have you ever been in a situation when you overworked and you had no time to eat? Martha is always encouraging me to eat at least a banana or something before you leave. Then I I told her, no, I have no time to eat. And so Jesus and his disciples were in a situation when they could not even eat. So whenever you overwork and you face this trouble, please think about Jesus. That he himself went through this kind of personal experience. But it was more than that. Because they said something about him. He is out of his mind. If you go to verse 21. He is out of his mind. His own people. Hopefully not his mother. But his brothers. Probably. Or maybe some other relatives. And they said something should be done. Because he is not only missing meals. But he is... Having an imbalance, if you if you want to translate it into today's English, he has a mind of imbalance. 
something is going wrong in his mind in the way he thinks. And try to imagine his own family, his own relatives came to the conclusion that he is out of mind. I looked at another translation, the Revised Standard Version uh, says he is beside himself. The New American Standard Bible says he has lost his senses. The New King James Version, which I have here, it says he is out of his mind. And then it practically means that he is demon-possessed. I need to show you something. Mark, if you turn the page to Mark 5, chapter 5. In chapter 5, uh, Jesus is, is healing a demon-possessed man. He was out of his mind. He lived in, uh, in tombs. They, they wanted to chain him and he broke everything. And then uh, when Jesus approached, the demons started talking to him through this man. And they said, what have I do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is in, in verse 7. Then Jesus said, come out of the man unclean spirit. What is your name? And he, he answered. It was a strange answer. He said, my name is, is a legion. Do you know how many soldiers were in a Roman legion in the time of Jesus? Somewhere between three and six thousand, depending on how many supportive troops were involved. But it could be, could have been six thousand. But even three thousand, even one, I think is, is enough of, of the demons. And so these demons said that, uh, I don't have a name. I am, I am a legion. There are many working on the mind of this poor man. But Jesus healed this man. And in verse 15, there is something interesting. From the city of, the, of this man, it says, Then they came to Jesus. And saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. So when the demons left this man, he got his mind back. He, he, has, he had his right mind. And so if you compare this story with the story of Jesus, what did they say about him? 
He's out of mind. So he is demon possessed. And of course the scribes who came from, from Jerusalem, they said something. He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. This was a name, probably changed a little bit, but uh, for the Jews it meant the prince of demons or the ruler of demons, meaning Satan. But try to imagine the absurdity of their thoughts. And that's what we need to, need to think about this morning. Can it happen to anyone, anytime, that the person would have strange, contradictory thoughts? Because if you, if you go to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, because this story appears not only in Mark, but Matthew and Luke, and we just go a little bit just to read one verse. Matthew 12. That's where the story appears. Matthew 12. The same story, a little different. And they had a twisted, twisted thought. If you just read verse 25. It says, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Pardon? This is Matthew 12, chapter 12. And verse 25. So Jesus knew their thoughts. Mark did not mention that small detail. But for me it was important to discover that Matthew is mentioning that Jesus was reading their mind. He knew their thoughts. And in their thoughts there was this twisted idea. Because they said something in the previous verse. This fellow. They did not even use the name Jesus. This fellow. Does not cast out demons. Except. By Beelzebub. The ruler of the demons. So this. These. Scribes or Pharisees. Had an upside down thinking. Very contradictory thinking. Because they said there is no way to cast out demons. What? Well, Jesus uh, made a response. And um, if, if you stay with Matthew 12, he made some references to some of the Jews, interestingly enough. Verse 27 says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? That was an interesting response from Jesus. Because he said, 
you are contra- you are contradicting to to yourselves because your own sons who were able to cast out demons, what do you think they did? Do you think they did it because they were working together with the ruler of the demons? And then Jesus said, Therefore they shall be your judges. So Jesus is making references to this this group of people. But going back to to Mark four, let's let's see what Jesus said. He used parables or um, comparisons, if you will, and he said how can verse twenty three this is Mark three twenty three how can Satan cast out Satan. One question. Second, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. So my question is, how can somebody come to a conclusion which is so contradictory? Wasn't that something wrong with the way of thinking? Because if you suppose that somebody has this power to cast out demons, but this power comes from the demons, think about that. Or, or the ruler of the demons, then what's happening to the demons? Or what's happening in your mind? There was a very, very twisted, to be polite, a very twisted idea. And Jesus, in his answers, these um, parables, or comparisons, he's saying that if, if that's the case, then the house would not stand. If that's the case, Satan would have an end. If that's the case, the kingdom would fall. There is no way to stand. But how can somebody come to conclusions like this? Is it something wrong with the way they think? Well, finally, Jesus gave gave a third lesson. Or before we go there, let's let's go to Luke. Sorry, just let's go to Luke for just for another second because Luke also recorded this story, and um, and he added something which you don't really find in uh, in Mark. But this is very important about the workings or the tactics of the demons. Luke 11, that's where we find this same story. Luke 11, and I'm just reading three verses, 24, 25, and 26. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. 
And finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So what's happening? When the demon is cast out, what is he looking for? A dwelling place. A new home. So the demon is seeking a new home. And if he finds none, what is he going to do? He's not simply returning to his old home, but he is calling other demons. The Bible says they are more evil than this one demon. He, he collects seven more, which is a number of completion and because he found this place empty ready to move in and so he comes back with seven more evil than he himself what is the lesson from this part have you ever been in a situation when the doctor prescribes some medication for you? Some antibiotics, for instance. And then he told you you need to take it for 14 days. But you felt good after 10 days. So you did not complete the treatment. You said 10 days is enough for me. And you, you, you stop taking the last four pills. Then, after 24 hours or so, you, feel some, you felt something strange. You felt that the sickness is coming back. So why is he coming? Why is it coming back? We call it the relapse. It was not completely wiped out. The bacteria or the viruses were not completely wiped out from your system. So you relapsed. Of course, the story is not completely what's going on here, but the, the key term is relapse. You can relapse and your Second round would be worse than the first one. So the story, that's the, the two stories meet. And so that's what the demons are doing. If they found, found something, um, they look like a dwelling place, they would come with a greater number. So why is this so important? Well, we have to do something. 
It's not simply enough to get rid of something wrong, but we have to fill up ourselves with something good. And um, our SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 5, page 399, says, Applying the mind and the life intelligently, diligently to that which is good. That's the only way to fight out or f- fight off demons. To apply the mind, and this is why I'm emphasizing the mind. It's all about the mind. Applying the mind and the life intelligently and diligently to that which is good. You need to strengthen ourselves or yourselves with good things instead of simply fighting off the bad. Because if the demon sees that this place is good for me, that there is nothing, let's say no good or bad, then he would say, let's come. Seven more. More evil. And so the relapse takes place. Uh, Mark, unfortunately, did not mention this story, but Luke, as I mentioned, and then uh, Matthew is mentioning a little bit more. But let's go back to, to Mark, because Mark is very condensed, very short. And what did he say? Jesus, in verse 28, says something. Surely I say to you, this is Mark 3, verse 28. Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of man, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. What is this? Well, verse 30. Next verse says, because they said, meaning the scribes said, he has an unclean spirit. He is out of mind. So the demons are working in his mind and he is working with the ruler of the demons and that's why he can cast out demons. Divided, we Stand. Then Jesus said, "No, no, this is this is contradictory. If something is divided, cannot stand." And you know, if a church is divided, that would not stand. If a family is divided, would not stay together. If friends are divided, that would bring an end to that friendship. Divided we fall. United we stand. So Jesus is saying to them that there is a special kind of human attitude when there is is no forgiveness. And of course the question is, why is that so? 
Why is that who says blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness? We call it the unpardonable sin. Of course, this is is not in the Bible. This term unpardonable is not in the Bible. But we created this term to describe this condition. And Jesus said that every sin, all sins will be forgiven. Going back to verse 28. The sons of men and whoever blasphemes, they may utter. Any kind of blasphemies could be forgiven. But he said who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, verse 29, never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. So what is this so-called unpardonable sin? How can you be sure that you are not committing the unpardonable sin? How do you know that you are still safe? Well, our our Bible commentary gives two reasons uh, that would describe the condition, the mental condition of a person. Number one is attributing to Satan the saving work of the Holy Spirit. So when it it is evident, like in the case of Jesus, it is evident that the Holy Spirit is working and he attributes that work to Satan. And they would say he's out of mind, he's demon-possessed, he's working with Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. If that continues in your life or in anyone's life, That's the so-called unpardonable sin. And the other could be hardening the heart so it cannot respond any longer to the pleading of the Spirit. Have you ever hardened your heart? Have you ever? Or do you do you f- feel or did you did you feel that the spirit is is touching your life or touched your life did you feel it and you resisted and the spirit was talking literally <laughs> talking because you heard in your mind that the spirit is talking like a soft voice and you know there is an a very important Bible verse in Revelation 3, verse 20, where Jesus is saying that I'm standing at the door and knock. If you hear it, if you open the door, I go in and we dine together. And then he adds something. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. If you leave your home empty, somebody will come in. 
and it could be a relapse. The demons are not going on sabbatical. The demons are not going on vacation. They don't even sleep. I don't know how they do that. They have no day off. They work day and night. And the Bible says that the spirit, if the spirit is cast out, he goes, tries to find another home. It should, but it should not be your mind. You need to fill up your mind with positive thoughts and all the good things that that are, are coming from God. Because otherwise the devil would step in. And I'd like to close with a with a very few few quotations by Ellen White, if you don't mind. I, I found these in uh, the SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 7A. 7A is a separate volume to the rest that contains all comments on all the books of the Bible. So this is, is a separate volume, 7, 8. And it, it has over a thousand pages, to be honest. So I found something interesting on page 1092, 1092 and 1093. I'm just reading a few, very few. It talks about the Pharisees who sinned against the Holy Ghost. And this is a quotation from the Rivian Herald, January 18, 1898. Stubborn, sullen, iron-hearted. I never seen that phrase before. Iron-hearted. They determined to close their eyes to all evidence. And thus they committed the unpardonable sin. Second quotation, to ignore the Spirit of God, to charge it with being the Spirit of the devil, placed them in a position where God had no power to reach their souls. This is another quotation from uh, uh, manuscript release number 30, and it goes back to 1890. So they placed themselves in a position when God had no power to reach their souls. The next one, it says that because of pride and persistent stubbornness lead them to do despite to the Spirit of God and to occupy a place where no manifestation of the Spirit can convince them of their error. Stubbornness. Pride and stubbornness. 
It says, we, uh, at the end, it says, it is the firm, determined resistance of truth and evidence. And finally, it says, the sin against the Holy Ghost is the sin of persistent refusal to respond to the invitation to repent. This is the Rivian Herald, June 29, 1897. What do you think about that? It's very, very practical, I think. And Ellen White is, is giving not a verse-by-verse verse commentary, but a very practical application. You can bring yourself in a position when God's power cannot reach you anymore. And this, this is a terrible situation because there is no hope. If God's power cannot reach you, whose power can reach the demons, yeah, the demons. The demons will, will reach your mind, and if they find it empty, meaning that there are no good thoughts accumulated in your brain, that they would say, okay, this is our new home. Let's move in. And so Jesus said, this is the, the sin against the Holy Spirit and it has no forgiveness. And Matthew is saying that not in this age and in the age to come. So what can we do after all? Yeah, we need to, we need to make a conclusion. And, and the Bible says that when Jesus looked around... Um, his mother and uh, family were there still looking for him. And they could not get close enough, so they sent a message. And uh, there were other people who were voicing the message, and they said, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Who is the mother of Jesus? Who is the brother of Jesus? Who is the sister of Jesus? And he said something about those sitting around listening to him. And I think that's what we need to understand. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister. And my mother. Or in Matthew he says to hear and do the will of my father. This is why, why it is so important to protect our thoughts. And to really control our thoughts or having it controlled by the spirit. Because as long as the Spirit is controlling, we are safe. Of course, controlling not against our own will, 
But Satan and the demons are ready to move in whenever they see it is ready for for them as a new home. We should never be divided in our mind. Because divided we fall. United we stand. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Shall we turn our closing hymn, Open Our Eyes That I May See, hymn 326. And when you find it, shall we stand? 326. Let us bow our heads for a closing prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the guiding of the Spirit. And we understand that we need to have a new baptism by the Spirit every day. That's the only way to keep away the demons. We need to strengthen our thoughts and would never think that by dividing we can stand. 
This is not possible. And as we think about Jesus, we ask you, Lord, that through your Spirit, you would introduce Jesus to us every day. And please help us to see that Jesus is standing at the door. And he is knocking. He is using everything in the world around us or in our mind that we would hear his voice and the knocking. And we are almost running out of time. So we ask you to help us to make the right decisions. Never delay anything. Never become stubborn. Iron-hearted. Or proud. Help us to humble ourselves. So your spirit could dwell in us. And as we think about Jesus, how much hurt it made to him that they said he can cast, cast out demons by the ruler of the demons, Beelzebub. That's the only way. And they did not realize that the demons were surrounding them. So we ask for your protection, Lord. Please send your angels every day. Protect all of us. Bless our families, our kids, our grandkids. All our brothers and sisters, maybe mothers, fathers. All our relatives, neighbors, with whom we are in contact. So we ask you, Lord, to give us the wisdom how to represent you in this world. And finally, we ask you to be ready to listen and to do the will of God. And we want to thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.